I am indeed, and uh, and use the term brand synergy, which is the most corporate thing I think I've ever said in my life. Uh, and I will try to refrain from saying anything so corporate ever again. Hi, everybody. Uh, my name is Tyler Ron, Sam Dykstra in New York City. This week's edition of the show before the show podcast from MILB.com. We're talking all things uh, minor league baseball, and we're recording this on Thursday the 28th, the day of major league openers across uh, across the big leagues. Episode 202. Sam, hello. Hello. Hello, Tyler. I feel like I'm supposed to be like the Liz Lemon to your Jack now. Whoever gets that 30 Rock reference of that one time where she just started using all these like business terms that I hate, (laughs) like synergy, like integration, things of that nature. And then we're just all sound smart for about 15 seconds until we run out of those words because they're not really in our lexicon. Yeah, uh, especially uh, especially in our business. We don't really, yeah, for better. Really for better. A lot of business decisions. Um, but, uh, yeah, here we are. We're getting set to roll. The uh, I'm, I've currently got the Yankees and Orioles on my television. And, um, you know, it's, it's baseball season, man. Fair I know. These, these games count, which – it sounds like I'm talking about the All-Star Game all over again. Um, the late 2000s All-Star Game. Yeah. This, this game counts. This but no, it's really cool. And it's really neat. And we're going to get into why today's games are, are super exciting uh, to us. Because we are a minor league baseball podcast. Obviously, that's why you're here. And thank you for joining us for that. But uh, a lot of really, really cool things happened this week in terms of prospects and, and how they are treated by their major league organizations. And that's all really come to fruition today, Thursday. Um, you know, a- after weeks of speculation, we start to get answers. And that's one of the things I love about the start of the season. And we'll talk about this more next week for the actual start of minor league baseball, too. But after months and months and months of talking about, oh, what are you going to do in 2019? What are you working toward? Now we get to see the results. Now guys get to get out on the field um, and show what they're capable of in, in games that matter and, and no longer talking about grapefruit league games we're not talking about cactus league games we're not talking about limited innings or limited at bats or whatever oh he'll get it figured out for the season the season is today this is when it matters and and that's so so exciting so get pumped uh let's get started in this week's episode of the show before the show the uh biggest news as we hit strike one for this week's edition uh of 2019 opening day from the minor league perspective is that 12 top 100 prospects will be on opening day rosters in 2019 um this is a a conversation that could be had in many different ways from the granular elements of what does it mean that Fernando Tatis and Eloy Jimenez and all those guys will be on major league rosters to what is this saying about the economic situation in baseball, the relationship between major league baseball, the players association, minor league baseball, all that type of stuff. Um, that is a, a much larger conversation, but there's a lot of really cool things that come out of this. Uh, I guess first from a baseball sense, um, Sam with 12 top 100 prospects, uh, on big league rosters to open the 2019 season, that includes three of the top four. And you kind of wonder if Vlad Guerrero jr. Had stayed healthy. Um, if this trend would have made the blue Jays start thinking differently about their decision to say pretty early on, the Vlad, was going to be headed to triple a but fernando tatis jr 
in the major leagues with the San Diego Padres, Aloy Jimenez in the major leagues with the Chicago White Sox and got a contract extension out of it. Victor Robles in the major leagues with the Washington Nationals. His situation is a little bit different because he had already made his major league debut, so the service time issue was not there for Victor Robles. Uh, but those three guys alone would be pretty big stories. But then you go down the list, and Chris Paddock is on the roster of the Padres. Francisco Mejia is on the roster of the Padres. Pete Alonso made the Mets roster. Um, 12 different top 100 prospects on big league rosters to open 2019. And for the guys who have not made their major league debuts, that's where it's the biggest story. Guys like Tatis and Jimenez and all those. Uh, but just your, your reaction to this and the fact that it seems like maybe there is some shifting logic when it comes to this. Teams are, you know, in effect, the Padres have given up that extra year Fernando Tatis contract control unless they, you know, agree to an extension, which is the, the in vogue thing over the last couple of weeks. But these are some big roster moves. Yeah, no, the, it's really, really exciting in terms of how guys treat, you know, their their prospects and what, you know, we don't want to see the system not rigged, but gamed in, in a certain way of saying like, hey, listen, he needs to go down for three weeks to work on his defense. We saw that with Chris Bryant in the past. We've seen that with numerous others. Um, and it, it just doesn't feel like an honest system. Um, so to treat, you know, uh Fernando Tatis Jr. as if he is the organization's best shortstop and get him that opening day roster just feels right in, in an ethical sense, in a roster sense. And, and the fact that this is being treated now as a market inefficiency uh, is kind of strange. But, it you know, somebody asked me the other day, is this the PR starting to kind of turn? Like, is this just because there's been so much public pushback against sending down a Vlad Jr., against sending down an Eloy or Fernando Tatis Jr., that teams are starting to come around and say, hey, listen, this is good PR? I don't think it's that. I think it's just treating your prospects like they are very, very good baseball players and not treating them like they're youngsters who need to learn. Um, You know, the Padres want to have a good relationship with Fernando Tatis Jr. They want him in the organization for a long term talking about maybe negotiating an extension someday or they just want him to be happy. And and I'm not saying they're coddling him in any way. Um, But if you want that relationship to get out on a good first step, I mean, this is a great way of doing it. And also, guess what? This is actually helping the major league team. This isn't just going out of their way to say like, oh, hey, he's really good. We're going to make sure he feels good about his situation. This is making the San Diego Padres a better team on day one. They did the same thing with Chris Paddock. He's going to be starting one of their first games of the season. It was clear this spring that Chris Paddock was one of the five best starting pitchers in the San Diego Padres system. Uh, He was arguably the most dominant minor league starting pitcher in any organization last year. Um, His fastball plays, his plus-plus changeup plays, he's talked up about how much he's – uh, improving with his curveball, still not quite there to be a plus pitch. But you know, again, the way he can hit his marks and it, uh, pitch within the strike zone and and you know just paint like none other has been really really cool. And to be rewarded in that, it, it feels like the tide is turning a little bit. Um, you know, if this becomes and the Mets did the same thing with Pete Alonso. I don't I don't want to just talk about the Padres. The Mets always talks going back to when. Brody Van Wagenen was hired about, listen, we're going to be a team that's going to use our 25 best players. That's our strategy. That's the way it's going to go. Always felt a little bit like lip service until they got a chance to prove it. And then they did by, you know, P. Alonzo, last year's minor league home run leader, and then had a really, really good spring. 
did everything he could to show he's major league ready. And the Mets said, all right, yeah, you are major league ready. Here's the opening day first day spot. He already got his first major league hit today. Um, his first major league at bat struck out against Max Scherzer. Kind of a, a tough assignment on that one. But if it means he's a major leaguer, that's all that matters. Um, you know, the, this idea that you need – to keep guys down for three weeks so that you can have them for a you know seventh year of team control or what have you it just seems so it, it's so long-sighted that it's almost short-sighted you're looking so far into the future that you're forgetting about what your present is and if you can have an exciting present go for it and i'm hoping you know teams are starting to look at this would the blue jays have have sent up uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Had he been healthy? I don't think so. I think they planted too many seeds to say like, "Hey, listen." Yeah, I think we, so too. They even said, I think Ross Atkins said at one point he's not a major leaguer, which, again, going back to just player relationship, almost feels destructive. Like I don't know what else the guy's supposed to do. Um, so imagine Vlad Jr. Where you hit 381 in a season, and somebody says you're not a major leaguer yet. Right. That's just rough. I, I get they need to say that when they are going to send him down, but. Uh, you know, who, who are the Blue Jays going to be in, you know, 2026, 20, 2027? 20, we don't know. We There's no way we could tell right now. What are they right now? They're a worse team without Vladimir Guerrero Jr. when he's healthy. Um, so, you know, put your best te- team on the field. Um, you know, Tyler, you mentioned this is going to be part of a, a much bigger picture someday. Uh, you know, with the CBA coming up and, and how do you handle service time and how do you handle how do you set up a system in which teams not necessarily are rewarded, but that incentivizes having your best players in the major leagues and not having, you know, instead of incentivizing, keeping them down so you can have them longer. Um, I, I don't have answers for that, but the fact that this is turning and the fact that teams are realizing, Hey, listen, we'll figure that out when we come to it. Let's look at the team as we have it now, because the San Diego Padres, are not favorites in the NOS by any means, by by starting Tatis in the majors, um, by starting Paddock there, by allowing Mejia to platoon with Austin Hedges. But they are a better team, and that should be the goal at the end of the day. You want a team that's going to give yourself a chance to win. Fernando Tatis Jr., with his incredible hitting ability, his good power for shortstop, his plus speed, his good defense at, at shortstop. Manny Machado even said it himself. Uh, you know, he's a beast. I'm willing to move over to third base because I know what we have. In Tatis, um, allowing that to happen, it happen is great. Um, you know, we're going to have to keep a close eye on this as the season goes along. Our prospects going to be pushed up even quicker than we thought uh, as the season goes. Who knows? We'll have to see. Um, you know, when I did a preview of when I thought guys were going to make their major league debut, the only one I thought that would debut in March was Nick Senzel. Uh, and even he got sent down by the Cincinnati Reds. They said he needed to work on his defense in center field more. At least that's a little understandable. It's a new position to him. And then he got injured, and we're, we're going to have to wait to see him at AAA Louisville. But, uh, you know, I thought it was only going to be one. To have it be Tatis, Paddock, Alonzo uh, is really, really cool. And, you know, I hope it's a, it's a sign that the tide is turning. In 2020, we're talking about even more than 12 uh, top 100 prospects make or being in the majors. Uh, come opening day this time next year. 
We did, of course, get the news uh, last week from Jeff Passan of ESPN that there are discussions, at least preliminary discussions, of Major League Baseball and the Players Association have agreed to to start talking about some of these major economic issues uh, as they pertain to baseball before the CBA expires following the 2021 season. So maybe some of this is good faith movement by uh, the organizations to say, hey, we're you know we're going to extend these olive branches right now. Um, by the time we get all this stuff nailed down, the service time issue won't be a conversation anymore, and this is the way we're going to move forward i don't know anything about that to be true but uh it suggests that maybe that's the case teams are starting to approach things a little bit differently with an eye on what that could be um going forward over the next couple of years so we will see um strike two this week sam there are a lot of these guys on opening day rosters and of course the biggest names with tatis and jimenez and uh and and victor robles even with a, a guy who's already made his major league debut but still somebody who uh is on a big league roster to start the 2019 season who are some of the other guys that you are keeping an eye on who are on opening day rosters yeah, so again, I wrote a story today about the 12 guys who, who were there, and, and I'll kind of keep Tatis, Eloy, all of them off to one side um, just because we just talked about them so much in strike one. But, um, you know, other situations that are really interesting to me, Victor Robles, uh, number four overall prospect, he's now the starting center fielder for the Washington Nationals. Uh, he would be my pick for National League Rookie of the Year. That's a little bit of a spoiler for next week's podcast. Um, But he just does so many things well. And getting him the chance to play in the major leagues every day, I think he's going to show up in a lot of highlight reels for his ability to play defense, for his ability to run. Uh, He's very close to having an 80-run tool. Um, You know, he's going to go first to third, even first to home sometimes in in quicker ways than people are going to expect. It's going to be really, really neat to see him get a chance to play every day. After, you know, he had an elbow issue last year and kind of a freak injury that didn't allow him to even play every day in Syracuse. Um, So hopefully he stays healthy all this year, and I think he could have kind of a monster year. Um, Alex Reyes, you know, he gets one more out and we're legally not allowed to going to be able to talk about him anymore. Uh, that's not totally true, but uh, you know, he's got exactly 50 innings pitched right now as a, as a major leaguer. That is the line for prospectum. You, once you go above 50 innings pitched, you're no longer a prospect. Um, so we're still allowed to talk about him. I'm really interested to see what the Cardinals are going to do with him this year. They're beginning to use him out of the bullpen. Um, Talk to anybody at that club, they'll say, we really think he can be a starter. We're hopeful he can be a starter, but he could also be an elite late inning arm. When he's healthy, he can throw upper 90s, even touch triple digits. Uh, you know, his curveball can be a really, really good weapon. Those are two pitches that are going to make you a good reliever no matter what. Um, but he throws strikes. You know, he's got a slider and a changeup that can be plus pitches as well. Um, so, again, four pitches usually makes a starter. Fastball, curveball alone would make him a really good reliever. The reason they're starting him in the bullpen is because, you know, he missed all of 2017 due to Tommy John surgery, was beginning to come back last year, and then had a latch strain. I think he eventually needed surgery that ended 2018 early for him after, I think, only one major league appearance. Um, So they're taking it slow with him. What they're going to continue to do with him is going to be really interesting. If he continues to dominate out of the pen and, and shows he's healthy, do they give him starts beginning in May or June, or do they just keep him there and say, hey, listen, you're our back-end guy now. Uh, you know, we're going to pair you up with Andrew Miller and make it really, really good back-end of the bullpen. That's going to be fascinating. Um, Alex Verdugo, you're going to hear later, I bring him up in our interview uh, with our guest this week, Dustin May. Uh, 
I've been on the free Alex Verdugo train for a long time now. Uh, the guy has, has completely torn it up in the Pacific Coast League, consistently hitting above 300. Doesn't necessarily show a lot of power, but has a crazy outfield arm. He can play anywhere on the grass uh, and can throw anybody out from anywhere on the grass. I think he it wouldn't surprise me if he has one of those like Ramon Laureano moments from last year, if you remember that. Um, just a dead accurate arm, dead strong arm. It's re- it's really cool to see him play the outfield. Wish he could crack through, but they signed AJ Pollock this offseason. Uh, it throws another roadblock in front of him. They're allowing him to be the fourth outfielder. Um, I hope he gets consistent at bats in, in some way and gets to show he's a major leaguer um, because you know he, he doesn't deserve to go back to Oklahoma City. He's done enough there to prove that he's ready for the show. Uh, and then, as always, we're going to be keeping an eye on this Braves rotation situation. Uh, you know, I had the Braves prospect primer that we've been working on these last couple weeks. I said Tuki Sant was their most major league ready pitcher. Um, I still believe that to be true. I mean, they decided to send him down to Gwinnett to start the season and instead gave starts to Kyle Wright and Bryce Wilson, uh, both guys who appeared mostly out of the bullpen last year. Actually, Kyle Wright exclusively out of the bullpen when he came up to Atlanta. Those guys are now going to be starting initially. Is there going to be some churn there? Are, are they going to have short leashes? Are they going to have long leashes? Are they going to, uh, you know, Brian Snicker, the manager, has said, you know, I, I don't mind using guys in the bullpen, young guys, because that's usually how it used to work is you would come out of the bullpen first and work your way into the rotation. I don't mind doing that. And that's something they've done with like Max Freed in the past. Um, so if Kyle Wright has a bad start, does he move into the bullpen and have to prove himself again? Or does he go down to Gwinnett and continue to get consistent starts? Uh, it's going to be really interesting on that front because the Braves are trying to contend and they want their best arms around. They've decided right now that that's Wright and Wilson. Um, how quick of a, a look does Toussaint get? We'll have to wait and see, but uh, be keeping a close eye on that one because there are so many pitching prospects there. And strike three this week as we roll along on Major League Baseball's opening day. Uh, your predictions for the 2019 MLB season. Now, we're not going through like division winners and World Series and all that, but uh, some of your predictions for 2019, Samuel. Yeah, I, I won't go through everything here, but I, I'll just kind of go through some of the closer ones for me. Um, I think that NL Central race is going to be fascinating um, just because you know there's just so many teams actually going for it. The Reds are probably the fourth best team in that division. They got Yasiel Puig. They got Matt Kemp. They got some really interesting talent that shows that they're going to go for it. I hope they bring up Nick Senzel pretty soon. Um, that AL East race is also going to be interesting to me, not just because you know, it's not as tight as necessarily the NL Central. Um, but, you know, the Red Sox, yes, their bullpen isn't what it used to be when they lost Kimbrell, or will they? I don't know. Maybe they give Craig Kimbrell a call here shortly. I hope he gets in the major leagues. I hope he gets the contract he wants because he, he should be there. Absolutely. Same thing with Dallas Keuchel. But I don't see the Red Sox being that much worse, really, than they were last year. Uh, a lot of people seem to make the Yankees the favorite. In, in that division, and I don't see what the, the Red Sox have necessarily done to get worse. I think Raphael Devers is going to have a really good year, a standout year as he continues to grow. I think he's only 22. Uh, Andrew Benintendi is continually growing. He's not in his peak years yet. Mookie Betts is. J.D. Martinez is. Uh, so, you know, that that's a Red Sox team that I think is still as strong. Now, what, when I did kind of put together predictions the other day, and I looked at some of these tighter races, thinking about things like the AL wild card spot, the second one. I have the Red Sox winning division. I have the Yankees getting the wild card spot, the first one. 
That next one, it's the Rays versus the Twins for me. I give the Rays the bump there just because we talked about how many times, you know, like how deep that system is. They're going to just keep throwing talent, the Rays, at that major league team and carving out interesting roles. And you know, they, if there's going to going to be a team that's going to build internally, 93 wins. I think the Rays can do it. I think that gives them kind of the tip over the Twins, uh, who we've been looking to break through for a long time. Obviously, they play in a really bad AL Central division now so there's wins to be had there for the Twins but I think the Rays depth kind of pushes them over and kind of the same thing with in the NL wildcard spot I have the Nationals winning the division uh, the NL East there but then I have the Phillies winning that first wildcard spot JT Romuto Bryce Harper you bring them in that's only going to help the big club uh, they have some pretty good pitching depth themselves um, so they should keep rolling out talent there. But I have the Braves getting that second wild card spot because, again, I think their biggest hole right now is starting pitching. But they have so many guys who are going to continue to develop at AAA and right on that cusp. You know, your Wilsons, your Wrights, your Toussaints, your Luis Goharas, your Colby Allards. Uh, and then Ian Anderson, Joey Wentz, Kyle Muller coming in behind them. But I think they know they can fill those spots internally and and be, you know, have a loaded rotation by June or July. Um, so I'm always going to favor depth a little bit more than just, hey, this is what the major league team looks right now, be, looks like right now because injuries happen, uh, you know, downturns happen, all that kind of stuff. And how well can you fill those gaps as they come along through April, May, June, July, August, and September? Um, so I like the Rays to do that. I like the Braves to do that. Um, and yeah, it, it, but at the end of the day, I think the Houston Astros are going to be the team to beat in 2019 because they have the talent, they have the depth, they have the farm system. Kyle Tucker, for crying out loud, is starting in the minor leagues again, which is nuts to me. Uh, Forrest Whitley is the pitching prospect in baseball. He'll be in their rotation by May or June, I think. Uh, Ashers just continually roll over you, and I find it difficult to pick anybody else to win the World Series. You heard it here first. Sam Dykstra says Houston Astros World Series champs. It's Who do you got? Stone Cold Lock. Well, um, I don't know about that, but... Yeah, I mean, I I have a hard time picking against the Astros, too. Um, I think the the Red Sox are going to be there. I am not on the Dodgers bandwagon this year. Everybody, and obviously being a National League West observer, um, I have to read through all the previews that, you know, beyond the box score, I had a story the other day titled, The Dodgers Have Already Won the NL West. Um, I don't look at the 2019 Dodgers and see them as being better than the 2018 Dodgers. I think that, yeah, you get Corey Seager back. That's great, obviously. But Clayton Kershaw's a question mark. He's not ready to go yet. Uh, Rich Hill seems to be a question mark at this stage. He's not ready to go yet. Hunjin Ryu has had a whole bunch of health issues over the last few seasons and tough health issues to come back from back, shoulder, all that kind of stuff. Um, you trade away Yasiel Puig and Matt Kemp. And, yes, I know that they had, especially in Puig's case, kind of a, a star-crossed tenure in Los Angeles. But Matt Kemp was an all-star last year. You trade him away and you get Alex Verdugo that's obviously well and good but um you're banking on Max Muncie OPSing 950 again or whatever it is this year um I don't know I don't know how much I see that team being a team similar to the one that has made the World Series the last two years now all that being said they've won six straight division titles and they seem to just like sign a dude off the street who ends up being an MVP candidate by the end of the year so that's probably going to be the case again this season but um that to me I think that's the the one National League storyline that I'm not fully on board with. The one that I am on board with in the National League is that the East seems insane. Like, outside of the Marlins, you could make a convincing case that somebody in that division wins the the National League pennant, and I think you wouldn't sound 
too crazy. Um, you know, the Mets with that pitching staff, if they can finally get some steps forward from guys like, you know, Brandon Nimmo, Michael Conforto to be uh, anchors on the position player side, already going behind a staff that includes two Cy Young candidates and uh, one Cy Young reigning Cy Young winner. Um, that team, I think, is going to be scary just because of the, the pedigree of what they've got there. Phillies, obviously, I'm not as high on the Phillies as everybody else is, um, but the Phillies obviously made their moves over the offseason. They've got a very talented group. And the Washington Nationals, you know, last year the Nationals win 82 games, and everybody thinks, ah, oh, the Nationals, they're finally done. Bryce Harper's leaving. Not really. I mean, now they bring up Victor Robles. Uh, they've got so many of those pieces that were good last year um, that I think this season uh, seem more in a, a spot where – you can look at that roster and think, all right, these are the guys that we have. This is the group that we're going to go forward with. Um, that team's scary. You still got Max Scherzer. Um, that alone seems like it, it carries a ton of weight. So that team's frightening. I mean, that whole division, just like the first place team and the fourth place team could be separated by like four games in that division by the end of the year. Um, the central, I think, is kind of the opposite of that. I don't, I don't really know how – sexy the central is by comparison uh there's i think it's going to be a tight race but i'm not sure those teams are going to be of the same quality as in the east uh but i do think the i think you're right in that the the heavy hitters world series wise are still in the american league um i think the astros are probably there i think the red sox are right behind them um but it's gonna be fun this is gonna be a fun year to watch is this a season where the the angels can finally take a step and compete for a postseason spot do the a's bottle up whatever they found last year michael jordan's secret juice from space jam and win 97 games again um is anybody in the central ever going to be good again in the american league <laughs> uh maybe um so it's <clears throat> there's a lot of storylines it's uh it's going to be a fun year. Um, I'm kind of the, the same place with you where I don't really see the the Yankees love quite as much as a whole lot of people do uh, coming into this year. Obviously, it's a very good team, but I certainly don't think that's a team right now that uh, is a, a division contending team. I think they'll – I shouldn't say contending. I think they'll contend in that division, uh, but I don't think they're going to win that division this year. And maybe I'm wrong, but um, it's there are a lot of really good storylines coming into the season. It's not one of those seasons where you have, like, clear-cut division favorites in every division, and then there's just going to be, like, a scrimmage for the wild card spots behind them um i think there's some really really good division races this year and uh you know i don't know man this is gonna be this is gonna be a fun one i like this year i like this year yeah i like this year too i I wish the bottom teams you know your toronto blue jays your um you know detroit tigers your miami marlins um you know would be going for it a little bit harder um that said you know, I, I think that there are some legitimate races this year, and then that's what makes things exciting. And some of the changes to rosters and, and trade deadlines and all that is going to make things further interesting. Who decides they're going to go for it, how they decide they're going to go for it, what that means for prospects and all that kind of stuff um, is something we'll be talking about in the weeks and months ahead. So it, it's glad I'm, I'm glad we can actually stop talking about what will happen, what may happen, and start topic, talking about what is happening for sure. While I was busy getting my taxes done today, Sam was knocking out our interview segment. Uh, Give us the details. Yeah, so I brought on for this week's podcast uh, number three Dodgers prospect, Dustin May. Uh, Really wanted to get him on the show because he had kind of a fun week. He got to pitch 
in Dodger Stadium against the Los Angeles Angels. Uh, it was an opportunity that, that the Dodgers gave to him in part to reward him for what was a really, really good spring. Uh, Dave Roberts in particular said he was the standout of camp uh, in terms of, you know, expectations were one way and he completely passed them. Um, so that was neat. And, you know, we got into what he what he's expecting for 2019 and how close he actually feels to getting to pitch in Dodger Stadium uh, in a real major league game quite soon. So here's the interview right now with Dustin May. Well, we're joined here on Major League Opening Day uh, with the number 69 overall prospect in the game, number three in the Los Angeles Dodger system, Dustin May. Dustin, thanks so much for joining us. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so uh, one reason we wanted to bring you on the show this week is, is you've had kind of a cool week. You got to throw in a major league stadium here on, on Tuesday in an exhibition against the Angels. Kind of take us through that experience, what that was like. Uh, it was definitely very exciting. It was fun to go out and throw at the Dodger Stadium for the first time. It was definitely cool being out there with all the big guys and just hanging out with them at the home stadium and being in that atmosphere with I don't know how many people probably 20,000 30,000 people out in the stands and it was very cool to just be able to get down there on the diamond and get some work done and get ready for the season to come yeah how do you approach a start like that when a you're trying to get ready for the season you're trying to get your work in but also this is a chance for you to kind of get acclimated to pitching in the big league stadium I mean what was your approach to that game I mean, it was the same as, as it would be for a normal start for me, except I was coming out of the bullpen. I just had to do everything kind of delayed. But, I mean, I had to come in with the same mindset that I had to get guys out and I had to stand for, well, I think it was like three and a third innings. And I just had to get, get my work in and get everything dialed in and in tune for the start of the season in about a week or so. Yeah, and just so everybody knows, you did throw three and a third innings, gave up five hits, only the one run, struck out one, walked one uh, in the exhibition at Dodger Stadium against the Angels. Um, you know, considering that was a start at Dodger Stadium, what, what was maybe the most interesting or awe-inspiring or eye-opening part of that experience at getting to see Dodger Stadium in that way from the mound? Uh, I wouldn't really say it was, like, eye-opening because, I mean, I've been – I've been in big league stadiums before, but it was definitely cool to just get out there and throw in one with fans watching. Uh, it was, it wasn't nerve wracking. It was kind of like a, wow, this is really cool. Like I want to, I want to get back here. Uh, I don't want to, I want to, I don't want to waste any time in the minor leagues as long as I can, or I want to get back there as fast as possible, I guess you could say. Yeah, for sure. And you had one of the springs that, um, you know, really stood out among top prospects and especially with, with pitchers. I think Dave Roberts even said you were the spring standout for the Dodgers in camp this year as a non-roster invite. Um, kind of take us through your spring. What, what was it like being in big league camp and getting a chance to show yourself to the big league staff in that way? It was definitely very cool. I mean, you, you definitely get treated a lot better. And there's a lot more people that are there to help you. And there's a lot more of 
a lot more moving parts than than you really think that go behind the scenes on the big league side and it's it's definitely cool to just be around everybody and see the the big guys and the way that they go around about their business and the way that they carry themselves on the field and off the field and just watching them on what they do it's it's kind of cool to see that I'm pretty close and I hope that I can get there by the as soon as possible I don't want to set any dates but I mean it would be very cool to be there as soon as possible and I mean I had I had a blast hanging out with everybody in spring training and I would definitely say it was something that I will definitely hold very close to me and want to get back to yeah and, and the Dodgers have said how surprisingly close they feel you are now uh, given what you showed this spring what what was the moment you felt like hey this isn't just an invite for me to be here and kind of get used to this this is for me to actually make a major league audition what was kind of that point where it felt uh, like this was you know the majors were actually within reach for you I would definitely have to say the start that I had against the Cubs um, I went out and threw three innings and then, I mean I threw I'm, what I thought was pretty well. I gave up uh, three little bloop singles in one inning, and I gave up a run. But, I mean, I thought that I had a, a very good outing, and I thought my stuff was pretty pretty tip-top on that outing. And I, uh, I just had a lot of fun with it. And, I mean, it was definitely cool to get a start under my belt at the, the big league spring training side. So, I mean, it was very, very eye-opening on how – I guess everybody talks about how guys are, they look for certain stuff. And I mean, they, they do, but like, I mean, they are, they do make mistakes and they do get out. So, I mean, it was very cool to see that. Yeah. And you finished spring with a 1.46 ERA over five appearances. I mean, that kind of helps prove the point in what you were talking about there. But um, in terms of what you entered spring to work on, in terms of your stuff, what were you hoping to kind of craft and get ready for the season? Because watching part of that outing the other night on Tuesday, you were showing mid-90s fastball, and I think one of your pitches had a tail to it that got gifted and got shared a lot around Dodgers Twitter and around Prospects Twitter. Uh, but in terms of stuff, what have you kind of been focusing on these last couple weeks and months? In terms of stuff, I've been – definitely working on my changeup and trying to be able to throw my curveball in the zone when I want to. It didn't really pan out for my curveball in the zone at Dodger Stadium, but I mean, I thought I had a pretty good spring with it being able to go in the zone. It was definitely pretty cool for me to be able to do that as many times as I did compared to last year that I didn't really get to, or I didn't throw in the zone very much at all, but I mean, it was definitely very cool for me to see that I do have the ability to throw it in the zone when I want to. And my changeup, I mean, it's it's still a work in progress, but I mean, I'm, I feel like I'm taking right strides. So, I mean, as long as I can keep going in that direction with the pitch, I feel like it will be very helpful in the key pitch with me, for me this year. Mm. And you mentioned the curveball, um, you know, trying to develop that, trying to give it shape and all that. What do you do to, to get that consistency and that you are landing it in the zone? I mean, what kind of alterations or adjustments have you been making with that pitch in particular? Uh, I mean, I've been throwing a lot of them in, like, flight grounds and catch play and just trying to get that feel for it out of the hand and just get it repeating. And, I mean, I felt the shape was pretty consistent this this spring so I mean I'm, I'm very happy with the shape of the pitch it's just one of those things that I just have to get it consistently um, 
delivered out of the same spot so it can be a strike when I want it to and then be a, a, a 0-2 strikeout pitch when I want it to be as well. So, I mean, I just got to be able to repeat both of those um, deliveries, whatever I need to. So it should be exciting for the year. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I know a lot of Dodgers fans are going to be excited to see you in the upper minors. But let's go back a year. Uh, last year, it felt a little bit like a breakout season for you. You had a 3.39 ERA between Rancho Cucamonga and Double A Tulsa. Uh, finished with 122 strikeouts, only 29 walks, and 132 and two thirds innings. Um, but you've been really consistent, I feel like, throughout your minor league career so far. Your first year, you had a 3.86 ERA. Your second year, a 3.63 ERA. And last year, a 3.39 ERA. So how do you feel like you've grown, um, you know, since you were a third-round pick uh, coming out of Texas in, in 2016? Um, because the consistency you've shown at every level has, has been really interesting, and that's not easy to do. So what have you been able to do to be that consistent while also growing as a pitcher? Uh, a big thing for me is just learning to trust my stuff that is know that I know that I'm going to get the guy out in front of me and learning that I'm not going to be a, a huge strikeout guy. I'm going to be a, a ground out and get a double play guy if they get on base. So, I mean, that's one of the big things that I've learned about myself and that I have came to realize that it's not all about strikeouts for me that, I mean, it doesn't matter how they get out. I just, I just want them to get out. So, I mean, I really like the that I'm throwing my my two seam sinker, whatever you want to call it now. And I mean, it, it really it really helps me get guys um, to roll over, and I get a lot of ground outs with that, which get me really excited. So I mean, it, it's one of those things that you have to. Some pitchers don't really like that. Some pitchers all they care about is strikeouts. But I mean, and that's how I was when I first got drafted. I just wanted strikeouts, and I came to realize that that's not how my arsenal is going to play. So I had a coming to Jesus and I started throwing a sinker and I mean, it, it totally changed my game and I'm very happy with it. It's funny to hear you call it the, the coming to Jesus moment, the kind of coming to ground ball Jesus, because I wanted to ask you about that because, you know, we talked to somebody Sterling Sharp in the nationals organization. He's another extreme ground ball pitcher a couple weeks ago and, and asked him what I want to ask you. What is that process like when you decide, like, listen, this is who I am. Uh, this is where my strength is going to lie is just getting in ground balls because the way the game is obviously trending is towards strikeouts. It, it's getting a strikeout per inning if you're a pitcher. That's kind of a signal of a, a really good pitcher. Uh, but for you, you average about that, but you're also getting about 50% ground balls. So what was, yeah. what was that come to Jesus moment? When did you decide this is who I am now as a pro pitcher? It was definitely my first spring training. I mean, it wasn't that, but that was when I kind of realized that my stuff wasn't really going to play as a strikeout guy. I mean, I went into the, what was it, 17th spring training, and I kind of realized that my four-seam wasn't really a four-seam. It was kind of like a, just a straight ball that didn't really do anything, so that was when they tried and implemented my two-seam in, and then kind of towards the middle of the 17th season and I guess 18th spring training is when I kind of realized that I wasn't going to be missing bats a lot, that they were just going to be hitting like weak contact little ground balls in the infield. So, I mean, that was kind of really when I realized that, I mean, 
I'm not going to be the, the huge strikeout numbers. I'm going to, but I'm going to be able to get a lot of ground ball, easy outs, and I'm totally okay with that. That's that's where I am mentally right now. That's where I want to be. Is just getting ground ball outs and the strikeouts come. It's great, but I mean, I'm not I'm not expecting them. So I mean, it's it was one of those things that. It wasn't a very hard transition for me, but I know how it could be for some guys. But for me, it was just one of those things, like, I don't care. I just want to get outs. I want to get as many outs as fast as I can, and I want to save bullets for the next inning or the next outing or so-and-so so I can go deeper into games and have more innings under my belt because, I mean, that's what kind of what all I want to do. I just want to get out there. I want to throw as many innings as possible with as least amount of pitches as possible. So, I mean, that's kind of where I'm, I'm at with it. And last year, it kind of showed because I threw quite a few innings last year. And, I mean, I didn't I didn't have as many strikeouts as, as a lot of guys. But, I mean, that's not, like I said, that's not where I want to be. I wanted to be ground outs and quick innings. So, I thought last year was a pretty good example of that. So, yeah, and I know you mentioned you know number of pitches, obviously, and innings pitched. Are, that's what you kind of care care about. Uh, but we live in an age where analytics is kind of big, and I heard you kind of you know you know what your ground ball rate is. What is something you feel like the Dodgers are showing to you, or what's a stat maybe that you didn't use before that you kind of key in on when you're identifying how your stuff is growing, or how you know what, whether you're getting the type of results you want. I mean, it, it's probably just the, the way that the bullpen sessions go. And then I guess because we use Rapsodo and bullpens and then track and games, I get to see exactly like what my, all my pitches are doing. So it, it kind of tells me that it is kind of going in the right direction that we thought it was going to be going. So, I mean, it's definitely cool to see it developing into what it's, it is now and hopefully what it's going to keep developing into. So it's, it's definitely exciting for me to see all the, the hard work that I've put in is kind of paying off, I guess you could say, in a in a way. Hmm. Yeah, for sure. And, um, you know, when you were surrounded this spring by, uh, you know, so many guys from the Major League side, and this is a organization that is clearly going for a World Series, you mentioned just being around the guys, just getting to see how they, you know, go about their business. What's something you watched this spring from a major leaguer that you think you can incorporate into your game or your prep, your routine, anything like that? Uh, what were you kind of cluing in on it and trying to use as we go further into 2019? I mean, just that, definitely their work ethic. I mean, there, there's nobody that's not in the, the weight room every day doing prep work and spending an hour doing, getting their body prepped and getting ready for just going to play catch. I mean, we go play catch 10 throws, however many throws you want to throw, and then we come inside. I mean, it's not like we go out there and we're doing hard, extraneous stuff, and they're spending an hour, they're spending an hour to go play catch. And I mean, that's that's one of the things that stood out to me because, I mean, I already did it, but just to see them and how strenuous they get every day with their prep work and getting their bodies ready just to go play catch is, is was definitely cool to see for me because, I mean, it's – it's one of those things that it's not just like one of those eyewash things like everybody does it and you have to get in there and you have to do it and it's part of your job i mean you have to you have to get your body ready to go do what it's supposed to do so i mean it was definitely cool to see that i'm going in the right direction with that stuff so 
I just need to stay stay on track and keep it going. And what's your kind of approach to being in an organization um, that obviously is trying to win at the major league level every year, and, and they also have a good farm system. I mean, Alex Verdugo has struggled to get into the outfield for so long because the Dodgers just have so much talent, and obviously that it goes into major league wins. Um, but you've seen this organization you know, almost top to bottom at this point. Uh, what kind of discussions do you guys have as minor leaguers about trying to break a club that is so willing to invest in, in the major leagues um, but also is, is so stacked, you know, again, top to bottom at, at the minor league ranks? I mean, it's not really something that we talk about. I mean, we have to just go out and do what we can, and we have to go out and prove that we are more worthy of being called up. And then, I mean, we have to we have to do it until we do get called up, and and after that. So, I mean, we have to just go and show up, go and shove, and just do everything that we can to to open their eyes, to let them know who we are, and kind of just show our face whenever we can. We have to just prove ourselves. I feel like you did a pretty good job of that. Obviously, Dave Roberts backing that up this spring. Um, Dodgers haven't officially announced assignments yet, but do you have any idea where you're going to be to start 2019? No, I, I do not yet, no. Okay. All right, so so where are you working out of right now? I mean, what is this this one week to go until minor league opening day? What is your kind of the day in the life of this right now? I mean, just getting getting there, getting in, getting in and out of the baseball. I mean, getting my stuff done and getting everything that I can to get ready for the season and prepping my body and getting everything feeling tip top before the season starts. I mean, we just got a, we got a long season ahead of us. We don't want to rush into anything. So, I mean, I want to, I want to make sure that I'm feeling perfect and ready for the season to come. Hmm. And when you look forward to 2019, uh, you know, obviously don't want to get too ahead of yourself, but if you were to look forward to September, October, and then think back on what a successful 2019 season would be, how would you kind of define that? Well, I mean, I don't want to just go out and say, but I mean, hopefully everything works out and I get to, I get to go up to the big leagues, but I mean, that's, if I don't, then that's perfectly okay. But I mean, I just need to stay healthy and have a, be on top of everything for my 2019 season and hopefully everything works out. All right. So we'll end on this one. We usually like to end on kind of fun ones. You have one of the cooler nicknames. I don't know how much of a, a how aware you are of it, um, but at least baseball Twitter likes to call you Ginger Guard. Obviously, a knock on Noah Syndergaard and your hair color. What is your reaction to that? How much do you hear that nickname, if ever? I mean, I hear it every <laughs> now and then. I mean, it's not one of those like huge things that I mean I pay attention to, but I mean, okay. it definitely comes around like at the field or whatever. Sometimes, like guys will say, hey, "What's up?" and they'll say that name, and it's just like. All right, cool. But I mean, players they'll joke around and call me that. But I mean, it's one of those. Well, like, hey, like you're getting called that. And I'm like, cool. But I mean, some of the fans say it. And I mean, I guess, I guess it's kind of cool. But I mean, I don't. It doesn't really strike me either way. I mean, I would be fine without it, and then it's it's cool with it. So there you go. Yeah. Do you have any other nicknames growing up that obviously Noah Syndergaard was not really known? You know. 
six, seven years ago. Uh, was there anything else you were called growing up that you would hope would replace that? Because it doesn't sound like you're, you're that enthusiastic about this one. I mean, whatever. It, honestly, I've been called so many different nicknames growing up, and since I, I was drafted, I mean, it, it doesn't really matter what you call me. I mean, I, there's there's too many to count. So, I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm really fine with whatever. I mean, as long as people are talking about me, that's a good thing. So it doesn't really matter. Yeah, I think that's a good strategy. Well, hopefully someday soon we'll be able to call you Dustin May, uh, major leaguer, Dustin May, Los Angeles Dodger. That that always has a good ring to it. But, Dustin, thanks so much for joining us this week. Uh, good luck in the rest of your prep for 2019, and good luck to you know wherever they send you, whether it's back to Tulsa or even potentially to AAA Oklahoma City. Uh, best of luck with the start of the season. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Benjamin Hill joins us for this week's conversation as we get closer to minor league baseball opening day. And uh, first of all, Ben, your shirt today, we learned a moment ago, is as old as Sam. My shirt is as old as Sam. Um, that's one of my uh, prerequisites for buying clothing. <laughs> I say, is this piece of article clothing as old as Sam Dykstra? And you know, if it Sam is, Dykstra, I wear it. Is this as old as him? Yeah. 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 And I, I just, they hold it up to me because I go shopping with Ben all the time now. <laughs> yeah. And they just, by judging the look of me and my skin versus the quality of the shirt, and then okay. they decide whether they want to sell it to Ben. It has turned out to be a little bizarre, but it turned out to be a very successful wardrobe. Your whole wardrobe is thanks to me, really. It really is. And uh, yeah, I'm wearing a vintage Philly shirt uh, from 1990. Are you saying I'm vintage? Is that. Uh, well, yeah, you're vintage, but not as vintage as, as I am. Okay, it's sure. degrees of vintage. Yeah. But this uh, Philly shirt is from 1990, and uh, which I believe is the same. Oh, no, Lenny Dykstra debuted in 1989. And, you know, we, I don't think we ever talked about this in the podcast, but as soon as you were hired at the company, I was like, his last name is Dykstra. And I'm yeah. sure you've heard that a lot, but Lenny Dykstra is my all-time hero. And uh, this shirt from 1990, Lenny hit 325 that year. Remember he flirted with 400 for a while? Uh, I don't. Up until June? Oh, yeah, because he weren't really old. warm. Yeah. yeah. Funny thing about that is uh, – he was losing to Willie McGee towards the end of the season, the batting race, and Willie McGee got traded to the Athletics, but had enough at bats to qualify for the National League title. So Lenny, for the last month of the season, was just chasing the static Willie McGee, and he couldn't catch up to it. Anyway, I'm wearing a shirt from 1990. <laughs> hey, there you go. That's the explanation. Um, the uh, story that is up on the site this week from Ben as we get set to go for the 2019 regular season on the minor league side. It's a really cool one. There are a lot of teams this year celebrating, as there are every year in the minor leagues, celebrating uh, milestones and anniversaries and all that type of stuff, and some really good logo sets that are out there. Um, some teams that will be saying goodbye, in the case of the Pawtucket Red Sox, uh, some that are saying hello to new chapters while also honoring a certain span of their history, in the case of the Round Rock Express. But run us through some of these, uh, these honorifics this year. Yeah, you know, it's the very end of the offseason here in minor league baseball. I mean, we're talking on Major League Opening Day, but still the offseason of minor league baseball. And we've gone through all the rebrandings. We went through all the Copa identities last week. We've talked about these alternate food identities. Uh, so where else in the logo realm to turn uh, as we close the book on the offseason than these anniversaries? So the the, what, the article I have up on uh, MILB.com. Um, you know, it has a bunch of logos and 10 anniversary logos for for you to look at because I know people like to, to look at the look at these logos. Um, but I, I also try to explain kind of the motivation behind them or the story behind them or what the teams are doing to celebrate and that sort of thing. I mean, Tyler, you mentioned Pawtucket. Uh, it is their penultimate year, uh, 2020 in Pawtucket, before uh, moving to a, a city that I can't uh, – that Sam always uh, corrects my pronunciation. Worcester. It's Worcester. not that hard. All right. Worcester. Before they moved to Worcester. 
But for this year, the penultimate year, it's they're celebrating 50 years uh, of being a Boston affiliate at McCoy Stadium. So, I mean, I, th- I do think that's a significant one. It is obviously tinged with the team leaving after their first 51st year uh, following the end of next season. Um, but th- that is what I like about the anniversary logos, not just so much looking at the logos, uh, which can be fun, and, and uh, but saying like, okay – what are they celebrating specifically and uh, what are they doing this year to commemorate? Because you start to see, you know, all time teams, you know, alumni coming back, throwback jerseys, to previous identities, uh, that sort of thing. So the article is full of different facts on that. Um, I think one thing that is a real good one, I mean, again, talking about my childhood, the first minor league game I ever went to was a 1989 Scranton Wilkes-Barre uh, Red Barons game. And uh, 2019, they're now the Rail Riders, but they are celebrating 30 years, um, you know, as a minor league baseball team, as an international league team this year. And uh, their all-time team bobblehead series, you know, there's a player at each position in their all-time 30-year team. And they're giving away a bobblehead for each of those nine players. And those nine bobbleheads, and you can see this in the story, I have an embedded tweet, all connect to one another to form a playing field, which is, uh, I think, pretty cool if you're into that <laughs> that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It is pretty cool. People got pretty excited about it on Twitter. It's a very chaotic-looking playing field, but it is a playing field nonetheless, and it's pretty cool to have a season-long bobblehead series uh, that you know pays off at the end by uh, connecting. And it allows a team to sell a bobblehead package, which is just like a new way to uh, sell tickets. And isn't that what, it, what it's about at the end of the day in minor league baseball? So anyway uh, – Bunch of teams celebrating anniversaries. My article is no way uh, comprehensive. Erie Seawall's 25. Uh, Dayton Dragons, 20. And during that time, they've sold out every single game in franchise history. And they're doing a really unique uh, game to sell to, to kick off the season. Well, it'll be before the season. But this Saturday, the Dayton Dragons celebrating uh, 20 years as a team. They're playing a 20th season celebration game that is putting the 2019 team you know, who are essentially playing together for the first time against a team of alumni who are still in the Reds organization. So I don't think a exhibition has been quite set up like that before. Yeah. Um, pretty interesting. I mean, and it, there's actually interesting prospects involved in that game. Taylor Trammell, Tyler Stevenson, Jonathan India. This isn't just like, oh, hey, we got some guys around that are – you know, quad A guys to just go to Dayton for a day. This is quality talent for, uh, you know, a city that brings anybody out no matter who's playing. Yeah, and so they put a lot of effort into this game, and I can't even imagine the moving parts logistics of putting that team together and then where they have these guys have to go afterwards. And mm-hmm. But, hey, it's a cool thing, the 20th century anniversary – 20th century, 20th season <laughs> anniversary game in Dayton. Uh, you know, Round Rock, Richmond, a lot of teams doing uh, – doing different stuff and a lot of uh, interesting stuff it ties into promos it ties into you know logos and graphic design uh i know a lot of listeners like those sort of things so check it out on milb.com our last uh, last gasp of uh, looking at logos before we actually start uh really paying attention to things that are happening on the field and um you know the promos that are actually happening at the ballparks instead of just the visuals uh, promoting them and since these are visuals these are logos i mean they're nice to look at but how are teams going to actually be using these for the most part? I think you see it quite a lot. I mean, on programs, on the scoreboard, in marketing materials, pocket schedules. A lot of time this will be used uh, in certain cases will be used, you know, almost as much as the primary logo in terms of the way the team's marketing itself. Because a lot of time these anniversaries are the theme of the season. It's the promotional theme, um, you know, with the throwback nights, with the all-time team type bobbleheads, uh, with, uh, you know, special guests. So it, it, a lot of time it's, it's not just reminding fans, oh, we've been here 25 years. 
it's tying your whole season together from a marketing perspective around those things. Uh, so I think you will see it all over the ballpark and all over the community to the extent that the team you know advertises itself. Uh, ben, the one of the latest things across not just the the sports landscape but also um, service industries uh, across the the country. I know Dodger Stadium announced this earlier this year. There are now some minor league teams that are getting in on this. The uh, Gwinnett Stripers in the Nashville Sounds will not be offering straws this year at their ballparks, their games. Um, give us the lowdown on this. Yeah, you know, I, I like talking about these sort of issues. Um, in the same way that, you know, it's a longstanding cliche that, you know, baseball sort of always been a mirror of American society. So I kind of like when teams have policies such as this that mirror, uh, you know, discussions that are taking place in, in uh, just in, in American culture overall. So this is the first time I've been aware of that teams outside of from an economic standpoint, I, I am aware of some uh, very thrifty teams in the past who didn't have straws or lids just because they didn't want to pay for straws and straws or lids. But, uh, teams doing it as an economic decision is a new thing. Um, Nashville and Gwinnett, uh, Tyler, as you mentioned, and Gwinnett, you know, they put out a press release about it and mentioned, you know, that, you know, near Lake Lanier and how important the waterways are and really tying it into, and the fact that they rebranded themselves after, you know, they're called the stripers, which is for the striped bass, um, you know, tying themselves into a, you know, an, an ecologically friendly, ecologically friendly, uh, you know, marketing approach to tie into the team name and to tie into the region they play in, which I, I think is pretty cool. And, uh, you know, some environmentally sustainable giveaways around that. But anytime you do something like this, then there's going to be the fans who say like, oh, great, you know, now there's going to be dead bugs in my drink or pollen in my drink or it's going to spill, you know, or whatever the case may be. So you always have to balance um, what you think might be doing the right thing or what you might think might get publicity for doing the right thing versus uh, the needs of the fans. And, you know, you're always uh, walking that tightrope uh, and, and not just in minor league baseball but in life. That's a good way to put it. It was a, a, a great tightrope. It's a tightrope everywhere. It is. These issues. It is. It is. But, you know, sometimes I think we feel like we're on tight ropes, but we're really walking on bridges and we're a little more secure than we believe. And I think it's important to go through life with confidence. So philosophical. Wow. I like yeah. that. <laughs> um, there's also been uh, an exploration on the site throughout the offseason as to the the promo process with the uh, the Charleston River Dogs. And I know there was a story that was up on the site um, recently, which kind of wrapped up, you know, the, the final stages of that. The the NBA draft night promo, one that Charleston's rolling out this year. Give us some other of the uh, the Charleston suite of promos. That's one of those teams that's always uh, at the forefront of the, the creative things that we talk about and promo previews week to week on the show. What else they got coming up this year? Yeah, you know, when when Sam and I were talking uh, earlier today, what should we talk about on the podcast? I was like, you know what? Let's, let's just hit on a few River Dogs promos because we're always trying to like the hit, old stand. Yeah, but yeah, we're always trying to hit on like fun, creative things to talk about. We and you know, I have written a series with them and been talking to their promotions director Nate Carrant quite a bit. Um, but they do have some of my fun, what I or some of my favorite promos because the promos I like, I don't ever have to think about who might be able to sponsor a promo or really what the revenue might be or the logistics of pulling it off. I just like promos. Uh, when they're just ridiculous and funny and I get to cover them. So I think one of my favorites uh, of this year, it's so absurd, but you know I like the absurd, is the Charleston River Dogs, July 9th, are having Helen McGuckin night. And uh, I'll read just why they're having Helen McGuckin night. In May 2018, the River Dogs received the following Google review. Quote, 
just drove by two out of five stars, end quote. <laughs> the author, Helen McGuckin, is a level seven local guide on Google. The Charleston Club has worked tirelessly since then to track down Helen in the hopes of a second chance. Helen, we hope this message reaches you and we promise an unforgettable night at the ballpark that we hope ends with a new review. Five out of five would do again. Just drove by two out of five. So this is a promotion dedicated to finding someone who gave them a two-star review based on driving by the ballpark, dedicating a night at the ballpark to impressing a woman they have not even found yet. She's a level seven local guide. Like, A, that sounds like a and d title. It does. Like, I didn't even know that was a thing on Google Maps. Like, how does one achieve level seven? Is it just driving by things? Driving by things and just raiding rapid fire? Yeah. Right. I guess that's how you get to level seven when you just drive by something. And you're like, oh, I write a review of that. Two stars since all I did was drive by it. They should do a better job of making me go inside. Give me a break. Um, so Helen McGuckin, I, I love that one. Uh, another ridiculous one I like. Sea uh, Knight for the River Dogs. And they say baseball is a game of averages. So the River Dogs will invite their fans to an average night at the yards at the yard kids who bring in a C on their report card get in free. And the River Dogs wear their alternate Charleston C jerseys. They enjoy C food specials. I don't know what that means. I guess food that starts with C and meet a C-list celebrity on a night that promises to be perfectly mediocre. Who is the C-list celebrity? Like the fact that they are starting it that way means no matter who they bring in, it's just automatically going to feel weird. Well, maybe it's someone who doesn't even consider themselves C-list and then be like, oh, And then it's like, oh, man, I'm moving up in the world. Yeah. So what, on, what on, if it's us? I was, just, to us? Yeah, I was <laughs> just about to say that. May 14th, come to Charleston to see Tyler Maughan, Sam Dykster, and Ben Hill for a perfectly mediocre <laughs> I don't like that. I got That's not happening yet, but I think we might have answered our own question. Uh, yeah. You hey, want media? River Dogs, you, we know you listen. Yeah, Charleston. You, know you, you Ben's want phone mediocre? number, Charleston. Yeah, you're going to get mediocre. <laughs> That's all we uh, specialize and on, in. And on and on. We could go on about several other of these, but um, you know, I just like talking about absurd promotions. The season starting, we will talk about a lot of them. Wait, we have to talk about at least the world's largest moon landing, though. Okay, it's kind of I, I hate it, but go on. You, this is absurd in its own way. Okay, uh, well, July twentieth. There's a lot of you know, the, 2019 is the 50th anniversary of uh, the 1969 moon landing, Apollo 11. So a lot of teams are doing moon landing promos uh, in July. So the River Dogs are as well, but they're calling it a moon celebration unlike any other. And uh, the first 1,000 fans receive a souvenir moon shirt, which I think might be a little different than a sort of moon shirt you might be thinking about it. But it will all lead up to the seventh inning stretch when all fans in the ballpark will simultaneously, quote, land on their moon, creating the world's largest moon landing. So they're advertising that when fans sit down and like as one after the seventh inning stretch, you know, their their butts, their moons, so to speak, will be all landing in the seats at the same time. As if that's the world like there have been. Stadiums much bigger than Charleston where everybody has sat at the same exact moment. But I don't think it was called a moon landing. Yeah, I guess not. Yeah. So that, that's how it's going down. If, if Guinness certifies this, I have many questions. Yeah. We're well, going to need yeah, to get It seems like you can just kind of make up a world record for anything. Yeah. And Guinness will be like, yeah, we'll put it in the book. Except Guinness doesn't – well, all right, we can talk about this on another – Guinness are notoriously difficult and you have to pay a lot of money to get a lot of those British guys across the pond to certify what you're British to. guys? You think Guinness is British? Oh, well, whatever. Whatever. I'm an American. I don't uh. know what goes on over the, over the water. Oh, boy. Here we go. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. 
Sam Dykstra, the the honorary ambassador from Ireland, is uh, is not going to be. I'm glad I'm not in the office for what will ensue after this conversation. Is what I'm saying. Yeah, they call us the Fighting Irish for a reason, and we'll settle this off air. They don't call Boston University the Fighting Irish, Sam. <laughs> How dare you? Uh, Benjamin Hill is on Twitter. He's at Ben's Biz. You can find the blog at Ben'sBiz.mlblogs.com. And uh, next week, getting set for the season. What's the the season preview content look like on your side? It looks like it has yet to be written on my side. <laughs> I know how that goes. I know that game. Yeah, so uh, stay tuned. But obviously a lot's coming down the pike. And uh, Well, we'll be collaborating on the fans guide. Yeah, we'll be doing a, a fans guide, and uh, there'll be an opening day promo preview, I believe, of course. And uh, maybe not just looking at you know first week promos, but also looking at notable ones throughout the year. Uh, maybe some TBD content probably the week after the season starts. So I'll get all my road trip schedules out there, and we can talk about that. And, you know, it's, 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 it's go time. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, again, Ben is on Twitter at Ben's And uh, Ben, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks. Thank you. And thank you, Sam Dykes, for sitting to my left. And I hope you're not too mad at me. For the final time before opening day, we will wrap before minor league opening day. We will wrap up an episode of the show before the show podcast from MILB. And um, next week, we got a lot coming for you, Sam. Not for yeah, you, next- but for them. Well, yeah, <laughs> not for us personally, but um, yeah, next week is, is one of our favorite podcasts of the year. We're going to bring on, on our friends and our coworkers, Josh Jackson and Kelsey Hennigan, uh, to kind of give our minor league season predictions. It's, it's not just major league stuff. It's, it's going to be, you know, who wins rookie of the year, um, who, you know, will be the number one overall prospect at the end of the year, who's going to win the Bauman home home run award uh if you listen to ones in the past that's always really fun and we do hold ourselves uh you know responsible we come back at the end of the year revisit those predictions see how the season went and see how right or how wrong we were um it's always really fun to put that together and have kelsey and josh on the podcast so we'll be doing that next week we'll we'll obviously have a guest who's going to be previewing uh their own 2019 season uh just as we get things going but yeah we'll have something hopefully you can listen to us on Thursday, which you know is opening day in the minors, ahead of opening night, they're calling it this year in the minor leagues, with so many games opening that night instead of during the day. Um, but yeah, it's going to be one of our most fun weeks. And then, and as Ben said, then it's go time. So really looking forward to that next week. So join us then and uh, and get excited, please, please do because it's. Uh get started on the season there's no turning back so you better just bump that excitement level up now for sam dykstra i'm tyler mall we'll talk to you next week